We're going to do some Sunday morning aerobics. I'm going to ask you guys to stand up. <laughs> if you guys can open up your Bible apps, tab over to Matthew, click on chapter 25, and you don't have to scroll anywhere. We're going to start right there in verse 1. Actually, that's, you know, this sounds so weird. I tried. I tried. I'm sorry. Open up your Bibles and turn to Matthew in chapter 25. That just, it just makes more sense that way. Um, we're going to be reading starting in verse 1. When you got it, say so, chapter 25 of Matthew. And for my people online, if y'all, if y'all open up your Bible apps, just you'll spam, spam the comment section on Facebook Live and just put a bunch of souls in there. Make them, make them work because they like, they like your comments. All right, starting in verse 1, it says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry, was a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should be not enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Anyone ever done a midnight shopping trip for oil? <laughs> and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. You may be seated. Bishop, is it all right if I, like, move the pulpit back? This thing makes me nervous. Like, I'm already nervous. Is, is, is it good? All right, cool. I'm going to, like, slide it back just a little bit. I need that water, so it's good. All right, and Ozzy, I'm going to take your seat because sitting down makes me feel less nervous. I did this last time because it, it makes me feel better. It's how I teach to the youth, so it's how I'm most comfortable. Okay, I feel better now. Y'all know every time I'm nervous when I get up here, right? Bishop, 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 he's pushing me, and uh, I, don't, I still don't know how I feel about this preaching thing. All right. I want to tell you guys that I have prep, been prepping this. No, I mean, I generally take like two weeks, two and a half weeks to prep every time I preach. But when Bishop asked me to do this, he told me it was like a month and a half ago. And he was like, just start prepping right now. Just do it right now. Just, just get ahead of schedule. And I was thinking, yeah, I'll prep early. I'll have it done early. And then I'll just, you know, meditate on it. And then I'll, I'll preach. And then I just, I just kept digging in for like a month and a half. So I got a lot I got to go over in just a little bit of time. Um, but I kind of want to give you guys uh, a good summary of what we've been talking about. And for your outline, for those of you who have your outline, there's an intro in there. And I'm going to be reading from that uh, when we kick off. Uh, so there's a lot of questions in there. Um, and this is going to be a fun preaching, I promise. 
So it's, it's all too often that we find ourselves busy with our own life. It is just easier to go through the motions than to be ready for a move of God. There's always so much to do. But do we ask ourselves if the work we are doing makes an eternal impact? Maybe it's better to ask, deep down, what is our reason for coming to church? Is it for the community, the preaching, the music, the programs, for the family, for kids, for the ministry, for the atmosphere? Because it's what I've always done. We are going through a series called Kingdom Critical that has anything spoken made you realize how critical the kingdom is? Or is this just another series? A lot of questions for sure, but it's because sometimes we approach Christ as an outfit that we put on. And the ones who wear the clothes more often are more Christian. A relationship with Christ, though, can't be put on pause. A relationship in general can't be put on pause. It's not some switch to flip or outfit to put on. Christ is a fact, a reality, the truth. You don't have a choice on whether or not he exists. You don't have a choice on whether or not he'll return. He does exist, and he will return. The choice you can make, though, is whether or not you'll have a relationship with him. One more question for you. Do you actually think this is all still worth it? I'll be honest with you guys, I, I'm, a, I'm a mellow dude. I'm a, I'm a go-through-the-motions kind of person. I don't plan things. Uh, like, my wife is the exact opposite. The Google Calendar is packed full of information. And I am the exact opposite. When I see the calendar, I'm just like, yo, but, like, can we just, like, scratch that off? I just want to go to the track today, or I just want to, like, mow the grass, or I just want to, like, do, well, I don't want to mow the grass right now. It's so hot, but... Like, I just want to do anything but what's on that calendar because I woke up today feeling totally different. And she'll be, she'll be doing that with me. She'll, be, she'll sit down a month ahead. I want you to be mentally ready because on this day, we're going to be doing this. That day shows up. I'm still not mentally ready, right? I'm, I'm definitely a go, go with the flow kind of person. And we have been going through the Kingdom Critical series and And in prepping for this, I decided to rewatch everything because Bishop told me to prep early, so that's what I was doing. I rewatched everything, like I think twice for some of them. And then as I was digging deep, and we'll get get to the the parable of the ten virgins towards the end, I promise. It's going to make sense once once we unpack everything. Then I decided to watch the Revelation series. Anyone remember the Revelation series that we did here? No, do you really remember it? Okay, good, because I didn't remember half that stuff, and I preached on that series, <laughs> and I didn't remember. I don't even remember what I said. I was like, I said that? I was like, oof. <laughs> so I want to say, like, even some of the stuff I'm going to be talking to you guys, uh, talking with you guys today, I'm still working some things out. And, Bishop, if I say anything heretical, you're allowed to come up here at any moment and just rip this thing off and just say, you can sit down. I got this. Right? Um, and I kind of want to bring everything full circle. I'm going to try to bring everything full circle. But it's a lot to bring together. Um, and I'm going to start with what the kingdom of heaven is like, right? My big idea for today is Christ calls us to always be ready for him, to return at any moment. Or 
we risk being left out. That's it. If you, if you don't hear anything, just remember that one sentence. Christ calls us to always be ready for him. If not, we risk being left out. So my very first point is know where you live. Just know where you live. Anyone here live in like a HOA neighborhood like with like houses? They're like all cookie cutter. They all look the same. Everyone's packed together. How many of y'all actually know your neighbors? Right? A few of you. A few of you actually know your neighbors. How many of you guys actually go to your like HOA board meetings and you, you meet them, those people there? Right? A little bit less. How many of you guys know like your entire block? Angel, of course you know your block. <laughs> of course you know your block. All right, it's funny that we call it a neighborhood, but we barely know our neighbors. It's called a neighborhood, and I don't know anybody in my hood, right? I don't know anybody. I, I, know, I know my neighbor's name is Trey. I've invited him here once or twice. The guy across from me, his name was Dave, but now he moved out. And the rest, yo, I don't even want to mess with them. Because last time, last time, Someone asked me for my tools, and I, I, I didn't think I was going to get them back. Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm a little protective. I don't want people coming into my home. And then all of a sudden, Aldo's preaching about hospitality. And I'm just like, wow, I'm just, I'm such a heathen. But our concept of neighbor, right, we, and with, it's, a, it's a big concept. But, like, neighbor isn't the person just next door, right? It's your neighbor, people you meet. Neighborhoods, same thing. Yet, for some reason, our society is so internal, so individualistic. COVID didn't help that either. And it didn't help me either. I'd much rather have a Zoom call or a FaceTime call with Bishop than to meet him personally because he'll start preaching. And, you know, I can, on a Zoom call, I, I, I can feel like I can control my emotions a little better. But then Bishop, you know, in person, on Tuesday, I went to Forge, and Bishop gave me a little preaching there. And I was like, man, you can't escape Bishop's preaching. Always ready. It's always got them on lock. But we're very, very individualistic, and we don't see that concept in the church, in the body of Christ. And as I was prepping, I was going through all the different parables we went through, and I actually had to shift. And this is why I say this, Bishop. If I say anything heretical, you can, you can come up here and correct me. I had to shift the way I thought about these things. In Matthew 13, we see a couple of parables. We see one where it says, a man who sows good seeds, and then an enemy comes in and sows weeds among his, among his wheat, the wheat and the tares, right? And then the servants come and say, yo, we'll get the, let's get the weeds out now. And he says, no, absolutely not. Let everything grow, and come harvest time, we'll take all the weeds out, and then we'll burn them. Because we don't want to, if these roots get intertwined, we don't want things getting damaged. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's, that's one way we can see the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is like that, a, a, a weed, uh, a weed, uh, a field full of wheat and weeds, and they get harvested, right? Then the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Though it's the small of, uh, smallest of all seeds, if you were to plant it in a garden, it can take over and birds can perch on it, right? Then we went over, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. So, so far, the kingdom of heaven is like a farm of a field. It's a mustard seed. It's like yeast. It's like treasure hidden in a field that when somebody finds it, they go and sell everything they have to go buy the field. It's like a pearl, right? It's like a merchant. Sorry, not like a pearl. It's like a merchant who finds a pearl and goes to sell everything to buy that pearl. 
And then we went over the dragnet, like a, like a dragnet that's laid down, kind of like the wheat and the tares, comes, picks everything up, right? Matthew 18, we see that the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wants to settle his accounts with his servants, right? And y'all remember that, that he forgave the servant, but then the servant didn't forgive his own servant, and that turned around. That was bad. And the kingdom of heaven is also, in, in Matthew chapter 20, it's like a landowner who went out early to hire workers. Bishop preached on this, right? And all of a sudden, at the end of the day, there's people who worked an hour but got paid the same amount as people who worked all day. People were complaining about that. So, I, I mean, I learned my lesson. I'm just, I just got to show up at the end of the day and collect my paycheck. <laughs> That's not what it was about. But then Pastor Aldo preached on kingdom is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He went out, sent out three invitations, and... No one really wanted to show up. So then he said, go out. Go to the streets. Bring everybody in. And then we see the person who wasn't wearing the wedding garment, who got thrown out. The kingdom of heaven is like all of these things. Now, I'm going to try and break these things down before I jump into what I have. And the the reason why I say this is because it's important. Because we call ourselves the body of Christ. We say that we're a part of the kingdom. But do you guys really know what the kingdom of heaven is like? Because you... You Christian, you living in it, but the problem is we have a mentality that we don't even want to get to know our neighbors. So how many of you truly want to get to know the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? Because it's really easy to just read these parables and not dig in and say, oh, yeah, the kingdom. Like, and, and Bishop, I'll, again, I'm gonna, not, not trying to contradict you. It's just after doing everything and I was looking at the parable of the yeast and the mustard seed and I'm reading the context of what's going on there. And Jesus is talking to Pharisees and a whole bunch of Sadducees and talking about corruption. And even before this, he, calls, he tells the people, don't liken to the yeast of the Pharisees. And all of a sudden, we get to this parable of the yeast, and I always took the yeast, and again, I could be wrong, all right? I'm just saying this. I'm putting this out there. But I've always looked at the yeast, and when I read that parable, I focused on the yeast. And I always, like, I thought the yeast was like this gospel that would spread and leaven everything. But then I'm looking at the context of things, and the Jewish culture thought yeast was, a, it was literally looked as the worst thing in the world. It was like a sign of sin. And then, even if you take it past that, we're looking at the three measures of meal. It's over 60 pounds of meal, right? And you put it in these jars to store it. The last thing you want to do when you're storing your meal is put even a little bit of yeast in it. Who is going to make 60 pounds of bread that is going to take up a volume, I didn't realize this, over the size of this church if you let it sit? That's a lot of bread. And basically, this is where I got confused because it said the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. I'm like, oh, can't, the yeast can't be bad. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. I'm like, oh, the mustard seed can't be bad. And I was so confused. But imagine, you have 60 pounds of meal. You get just a little bit of yeast. You work it into there. Oh, you're the biggest, and I said this a while ago, and just to paraphrase, you're the biggest troll ever. You're the most messed up person ever to do that. Because we're talking about people's livelihood. They take from that just a little bit every day to feed their families, to put yeast in that and ruin it would be a detriment. 60 pounds would last them an entire year. Just a little bit of leaven ruins that entire thing. 
mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, the most insignificant thing grows into this great tree, right? What we have here in the context of the Middle East in the area where they live in, they have what's called the white mustard seed. It's typically a bush. It doesn't actually grow. Now, in the U.S. and in Latin America, we have black mustard seed, which can grow up to 12 feet tall, and it's still considered a plant. It's not actually a tree, but it grows big enough for you to be like, wow, that's, that's huge. They have the white mustard seed. It's like a bush, so, and it could grow tall. But mustard seeds, the way they were planted, were all by themselves. If you have a garden full of vegetables, the last thing you want to do is put a mustard seed in there because they have a taproot system. They dig deep and they destroy everything. They take over. Not like a weed, right? A weed kind of like latches on to the current ecosystem. A mustard seed, a mustard plant, destroys the ecosystem because it is going to take over. So then I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty messed up of a mustard seed to do, and you put that in somebody's garden? Again, you're the most messed up person ever to do that. That's a troll move. And talks about birds, and just before this, right, Jesus was talking about how birds come, and they're like a sign of the enemy. They come and they take up all these seeds. So he's doing these parables back to back, and he's preaching to the you know, to this crowd, back to back in these parables. So now they got this imagery of a bird that's evil, but then all of a sudden you get to the mustard seed. Now, the, what, are the birds good? Is the kingdom of heaven supporting this? So, and I'm confused, right, because I'm going through this. I'm reading a bunch of commentaries. I had to pull out my theology book to go through all this stuff to make sure I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one that thinks this way. This is not some novel concept. Matter of fact, that's the way these were actually originally interpreted and, and, and interpreted. Interpreted. I'm nervous. Excuse me. That's the way these were originally in- interpreted until around the 1700s where this was totally changed. So not that it was totally changed, it's just people had a different outlook on it. So I'm confused because I feel like the kingdom of heaven cannot be this corrupting yeast. It cannot be this corrupting mustard seed. But all Jesus is talking about is Pharisees and their corruption and this in isolation, makes sense if the yeast is great. But in the context of all these other parables that are around it, it makes no sense. So I don't know what led me to go rewatch the entire Revelation series. But yo, when we started the Revelation series, the church was in a really bad state. Y'all can agree with me that the kingdom of heaven is here, right? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So if it's here and it can't, like, you would think it can't be corrupted. But how many of y'all know there's corruption in the church? And this is where things started to make sense because Jesus, it's, and it, well, for me, it started to make sense. I believe Jesus is speaking prophetically here. He's saying, yeah, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Just a little bit. It's going to destroy the church because we let the yeast in. And then he says it at the end. Don't, like, I always read this as like a kind of like a good thing. Don't you know that a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump? Come on, guys. It's more like, don't you know that just a little bit of leaven will destroy your meal? Are you fools to let this yeast into you? Are you fools to go plant a mustard seed into your garden and let it destroy? What are you doing? Now, how, how, how is it that this all works out with this amazing, beautiful kingdom of heaven? It's because look at us. 
Look at where we are with, with the church. Look at the sad state that is in. I don't see people praying anymore. I don't see people studying. People rely so much on their pastors. People want so much, even if it's not. Some people like their feel-good messages, right? Some people like to come to church and feel like and have the preacher tell them that they're really bad. And they're like, yeah, that's right. I heard a tough preaching today. I'm going to go fix my life. But how many of you are actually really deep down trying to have a relationship with Christ? Because and I've, we've, we've said it many times here, try to have a relationship with anybody in your life, anybody, not just marriage, just a friend, someone. Yo, people suck. <laughs> they do. It's, it's hard. Dealing with people is difficult. It's never fun. Why? Because you're two completely different people coming from completely different worlds trying to understand each other, and it just doesn't work. That's why marriage is so broken in the church, because we're not teaching what a relationship is supposed to be. We're teaching what happy-go-lucky relationships. Oh, you guys are having struggles? Just get with Jesus. You'll be okay. No, it's not just get with Jesus. Dig deep in your Bible, and you'll realize, and in prayer, you'll realize that not only does your wife need to fix herself, you got to fix yourself too. And you know what ends up happening? You let that tiny little mustard seed that unassuming mustard seed into your garden and destroy everything. You know why? Because you guys are the kingdom of heaven. We don't want to get to the end of days and be that sad state church. Jesus is speaking prophetically. This isn't some happy-go-lucky yeast, leaven, mustard seed thing. He's warning us. Don't let this happen to you. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. We haven't even got to the ten virgins yet. But I want you guys to know where you live. You don't live in some perfect world where the kingdom of heaven blocks out all the attacks from the enemy, right? No, the enemy will not have victory. We know that. He does not have victory. We know that. But you guys are living breathing human beings who call themselves children of the almighty God. You are part of the kingdom of heaven. And you know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to use you to be that mustard seed. He wants to use you to be that yeast. Because if you're the yeast and you come in here and you leaven the whole lump, you destroy the church. A year's worth of nutrition, a year's worth of food for a family destroyed. Look at the way the church is now. We allow our members, just the global church, especially in the United States, we allow so much sexual misconduct, so much harassment, so much politicization of the church. We allow all this into this atmosphere, destroying the sanctity, the holiness of what it means to come before the almighty God on your knees, on your face, and seek him. Because it's so much easier to just let people in and let people in and let people in. And man, I, 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 it bothers me when I speak to my friends who go to different churches in different parts of the world, and they're telling me, they don't tell me about what they're learning. They don't tell me about what the, what the pastor, you know what they're telling me about? About the drama in the church. Yeah, no, I, I was going to be a part of leadership, but then this, and then this person said this to me, and now I feel like everyone's kind of fake, and blah, 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 blah. 
why, why is it that that's what we hear about the church? It's all drama. It's all drama this, drama that. And, but, and then you get, right, you think, that, you think that just happens on the low end? No, step it up. Let's go academic. Let's go theology. People split there too over drama because they have a disagreement about what yeast is. You think yeast is just for the people on the bottom end? who want to bring their, their, their problems from the outside world with their drug addictions and all that. No, no, no. People who bring their problems with their academia, with all their knowledge, with all their amazing, beautiful stuff, they bring those problems into the church too. It's everywhere because the enemy wants to turn anybody, any just one person, just one of us into that yeast, into that mustard seed. All right? So that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's where you guys are at. Why do you think that Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood? It's against the principalities. It's against a completely different battleground. Why are we fighting each other in the church? Not just with drama, well, who, she said this to me, and I'm offended, or he said that, and now I'm offended. Bishop got up here, preached a sermon, now I feel like I'm a sinner. Can't be here. Bishop always making me feel bad. <laughs> why, why is it that that's what we talk about? We're supposed to be fighting, not each other. We're supposed to be on God's team because he has the victory. Yeah, we're over here quarreling amongst each other. What's right and what's wrong and she should be doing that, he should be doing that, and he's not listening to me and blah, 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 and the media team never gets online, right? Like, I'm just kidding. Y'all are great. I'm, I'm for real. Y'all are amazing. But that's, those, those are the quarrels of the church, and that's what the outside world sees. Who wants to be a part of that kingdom of heaven? All right, so let's talk about the treasure hidden in the field, All right? I, I always looked at this as the believer. I'm the believer, and I find this amazing treasure, and, and all of a sudden I'm excited, right? I, I found this treasure. I don't want to let it go. I found the gospel. I found the truth. I'm going to go sell everything and, take and, and, and live for this truth. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. But I thought about it. How many of y'all actually have, have, have truly, you know, consecrated your entire life to Christ. How many of y'all can raise your hand and say, I have truly given up every single aspect of my life for Christ? I know I haven't, and if you raise your hand, I need to know what you're doing. Actually, no, I need to step down and you need to be up here preaching. That's what needs to happen. So it didn't make sense because we don't do that as the believer. We repent. We're going to turn away from our sins. We're making the action to turn, but how many of you guys repent, right? Y'all going this way. You repent, you turn, but you carrying your baggage with you. I'm, yo, cameraman just looked at me. He's like, stop walking. I thought you were sitting. <laughs> Y'all always be, I do it, everyone. We always be repenting and taking our baggage with us. So I looked at this a little differently because it doesn't make sense to me. You know who the person is who's finding this treasure? Jesus. Let me tell you something. A treasure hidden in a field has no value. Absolutely zero value. You could put a diamond in the rough, and it makes no sense. That diamond has absolutely no value until you find it. And even if you find it, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. A diamond is what? It's just carbon. It's just rock. It really is just a material. The only one who puts value on is what? The beholder. And all of a sudden, we can create an entire economy on shiny rocks that are abundant. 
ain't something rare. It's not some rare mineral. It's not some meteorite, like diamond thing that's only, no. It's, it's a common thing. But we, we, as we put value on those diamonds. Only reason why any of us in the kingdom of heaven have value is because Jesus makes us valuable. Jesus found that hidden treasure, and he says, you know what? This means absolutely nothing. But I tell you what, I am going to put value on this treasure. I am going to give up everything. I'm going to put on human flesh, walk amongst a bunch of sinners, and I'm going to die for them. I, Jesus, not me. I was speaking as if I was Jesus, but I am not Jesus. Jesus is the one who truly gave everything up. He gave up everything. None of us did that. Same thing with the pearl. Only reason why the pearl has value is because Jesus found that pearl. Not because we found it. We in the modern day church love to put it on us. We love to say we figured it out. We love to say we got the best. We got the best church. We got the best preachers. We got we, we, we. Y'all give up on yourself. For real, because it ain't going to work out. Jesus is the only reason why the church works. You know why you don't really see the concept of uh, of a church in the Bible? Because the only thing that really holds us together as the kingdom of heaven is Christ himself, not these walls. And the only way you're going to understand what it's like to really walk with someone that amazing is to get on your knees and seek him. Read the Bible, pray, ask hard questions. Like, ask really difficult questions. I I push my youth to do this, to ask me the toughest questions they can think of so that I can try and answer them or we can try and answer them together. And then they ask you, ask me tough questions. And I'm like, well, yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean that tough. Like, let's, let's tone it back, right? But ask those tough questions. Y'all want to grow in your relationship with Christ? Y'all want to grow in your relationship with the people in this church and not just be like, oh, that's my neighbor. Like, I, I know him because he mows his grass every Tuesday, right? Really get to know them. You know how you get to know somebody? You ask them tough questions. You know, you know when you're like, you, 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 your lovey-dovey middle schoolers are like, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite animal? Blah, blah, blah. If, if you had to pick between this, 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 and this, what would you pick? If you only had one day left to live. All these weird, like, extreme questions that make absolutely no sense that bother me. How come y'all don't do that with each other? What if I placed you in a situation where you have an atheist and you have someone who's Muslim, and they're asking you tough questions, and you're in the middle of that, and you know absolutely nothing about any of their religions, and you're not read up on the Bible. What do you do? (laughs) There you go. See, I got an answer. You call Bishop, right? But at least you had something. How come we don't test ourselves as the body of Christ? How come we're not equipping each other for battle? Instead of equipping each other, instead of asking each other the tough questions to get us ready for battle, you know what we're doing? I'm talking behind your back. I'm not equipping you. I'm stripping your armor off. Church, we are body of Christ. We got we to be working together. And we don't do it. And I wish I can say core faith is perfect and it's not. It's just people outside of core faith. Man, it's everywhere, bro. Let, and let me, let me take it back to where we have the wheat and the tares and everything just got harvested. And one, man, does anybody want to be one of those servants picking out each and every single weed, bundling them up, and burning them? That's so much work. So much work. 
Bishop, you're allowed to tell me if I'm wrong. I'm serious. Okay. <laughs> Matthew 18, it's like a king who wants to settle his account. And this, this I love. And I, most of the time we focus on the servant who's, who's being messed up, right? But look how that parable starts. A king who wants to settle his account. Boom. You want to pause it right there? That's what the kingdom of heaven is like, right? That's what it said. Let's not go into the servants and all that stuff. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. That is some serious business. If anyone knows about a king who's coming to settle accounts, you better be on the good end of those accounts. This servant got lucky. He got grace. But a king is coming. The kingdom of heaven, right, here's different, right? We were talking about the kingdom of heaven before, the mustard seed and all that stuff. He's talking about the residence in the kingdom of heaven. The wheat and the tares, we're talking about the residence. Now, let's look at it differently. Let's look at it from the king's perspective. The kingdom of heaven has a king who's coming to settle his accounts with his servants. Now, let's go back to our series in Revelations. What did we see there? We saw the wrath of God poured out on not just unholy people or unchristian people, on the church too. He's coming to settle his accounts. And what happens? Some of us got grace. And we still go and start in drama. And you telling me when you get to the end of days and you standing before the judge, I did everything you asked me. I was a part of your kingdom. You gave me grace. Remember you forgave me? He goes, yeah, but why you treat everybody else in the church like that? Why are you treat them? Why are you talking behind their back? Why are you saying all these things? Why are you going and trying to plague people? Why are you trying to go behind, you know, the pastor's backs and start your own little sect and all this stuff? Why aren't you just dealing with these things up front? Why are we not, before we go to the judge, trying to settle accounts amongst each other before we stand before the judge? Why are we going to the judge with all of our problems and expecting the judge to do everything for us? The king is coming to settle his accounts. All we got to do is try and see which servant we're going to be. Then we get to the landowner, right? And I love this because people nowadays always complain about equality in the workplace. And I know Bishop was saying, I don't, you know, it's not just about working about an hour, blah, blah, blah. But I, I don't know if anyone's ever had this happen to them. But like, you know, you've been working at a job for some odd years, five, six years, whatever, and then someone comes in and they're just like, they're just the whiz kid. They're just a genius. Like, they got it figured out. And all of a sudden, it's like all, like all the work that you were working so hard because like you just, it was tougher for you to sort of get your mind around these things. But then you got good at it, but then some whiz kid shows up and all of a sudden, they can just do your job in five minutes. And all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, whoa, this kid's going to take my job. I've been here for five years. I should be getting paid more. Even if he is smarter, even if he has more talent, even if he, you know, whatever. But he came late to the picture. Anyone here ever been in business? You know who's going to move up quicker? That whiz kid. You know why? Because it's business. Let's take this just outside the church. As a business, I'm here, to, I'm here for profit. I'm here to make things move. I'm here to make things happen. And if this new addition is going to make things move, you better bet I'm going to put that to work. Bishop will do that too. Not, that, not, not in a bad way, but 
if someone comes in new, on fire for God, but they also have a talent to preach, to teach, to work, and they have these talents, you better bet he's going to put those to work. Not to shame anybody, not to make anybody feel less, but because there are talents, there are abilities, those should be put to work. You are not any better nor any worse. They may be a new addition, but they have talents. We should put them to work. You also have talents that that person doesn't have, but you're so fed up in comparing yourself, and that's what we do. When I started, when, when Bishop first asked me to preach, I had to, like, analyze his preachings. I went and analyzed a whole bunch of other preachings. And all I could ever do every time I finished preaching was listen to myself, then listen to Bishop, and then feel bad about myself because I'm not a good speaker like Bishop is. And I would always compare myself to all these other preachings. And that's not what it's about. Bishop is no better than me. I'm no better than him. It's not about some scale. And it's not about when you come into the picture. It's about putting your talents to work whenever you are called. That goes in the workplace. That goes at home. That goes here in the church. It goes everywhere. When you're called, you are put to work. That's why we have a big problem with equality in the workplace. Because everyone has some type of tenure. Everyone has some type of blah, 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 where I got more stake in the company because blah, blah, I, I actually bought stocks here or whatever. It doesn't matter. The business is out to make profit. God is here to spread the love that he has for us. And he wants to share that, which each, he extends that to everyone. What about all the parables? Remember the lost sheep? He went out, left all the other sheep. That's messed up. You would think, that's messed up. Why is, why is he leaving all the other sheep to just go get this one? The parable of the prodigal son, this big old party that happened, it all seems unfair. But what if you were that prodigal son? What if you were that sheep? What if you were that new addition at the end of the day, right? Y'all happy people. I only worked an hour. I got paid my, my, my share, right? We're almost there. We're almost to the 10 burger. I don't have much time left at all. I have zero time. So, I'm going to have to skip the wedding banquet. I want to move to my second point. You can fake it, but you'll be forsaken. You can fake it. You can fake Christianity. You can do it. Matter of fact, you can do it real good. So good that I won't be able to tell. Bishop won't be able to tell. Some of you have a natural talent to pray. And I bet you, you can go three months without praying. You can show up to a corporate prayer meeting and you can pray the greatest prayer ever and make everyone think that you've been praying nonstop every day. Y'all can fake Christianity good. You can fake it so good, right? And this is a big thing. Oh, that, people say it all the time. And our, it's sold to our youth so hard. Fake it till you make it. You can't fake it in the kingdom. But you can fake it till you make it even up on the stage to preach. You can do it. And you can make it. You get to the judge, you know what happens? Forsaken. Get out. I never knew you. And I'm going to have to paraphrase everything I have. So <laughs> I wanted to go real deep into, into, into the buildup to the ten virgins, right? Now, now you guys got a decent, decent picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like, right? It wasn't so pretty like you thought it was. It's beautiful. 
It's amazing when it works the way the king designed it to. But we're letting all this yeast in. We're letting all these seeds in. We're not taking care of the garden. We're letting birds come in and scoop up seeds. We're being the servant that's going and pushing on other people to get more more us so we, we can make ourselves look better. So not a kingdom of heaven looks like a huge mess. It's not what God intended it to be because we're ruining it. And all of a sudden we get to Revelations and the church just sucks. As much as I know the times of Revelation have to come to pass, I don't want anyone in here to take the church to that state. If I could, if I had some type of control, I would do everything in my power to avoid something like that. And I'm not going to stop because I want everybody to be truly on fire for Christ, so much so that you truly consecrate your life completely to him. So on our way, to, and on Jesus' way to speaking to the ten virgins, he asked the Pharisees the questions. You know, oh, David, you know, when David says that, you know, it, it's prophesied to him that, he, that, the, that the Christ will be coming from his line. But then David says, oh, why would David say to his son, the Lord, to my Lord? No, it's just a simple question. Why would, why would David's son, why would David talk to his son like if he's the king? That just doesn't make sense in that type of culture, right? Why would David put his son up here on a pedestal and put him way above him? And that, like, he asked that question. And for you guys, right, right, this is the whole beauty of the revelation of the New Testament, right? For you guys, that makes sense. You're like, well, yeah, obviously his son is the king because his son is Jesus Christ. It makes sense to you. But in the, in, in, in the, in the, in the mindset, the Jews, it makes no sense. They have thousands of years of culture of what a king should be doing in his lineage. And Jesus flips it. Why, why would he say that? Why? And he just asked a simple question. You know what the Pharisees did? Nothing. They stayed quiet because they did not have an answer. Then Jesus goes on and talks about a faithful servant, a wicked servant. And he goes through all these different things, talking about the corruption that's going on, the corruption in the church and what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like and blah, blah, blah. And then we get to the ten virgins. And I say all this, I want you guys to have this picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. I want you to have this picture of what Jesus is leading up to. Because if you don't have this context, the ten virgins don't make much sense. And we could take the ten virgins in isolation and I can just talk about, hey, obviously you don't want to be the five virgins, right, that weren't ready. So let's be the five virgins that were ready. Everyone get your oil. And I can talk about how I can go real deep into some, like, things that I really, I could not find any real good biblical foundation for how the oil is the, represents the Holy Spirit and all these other things. And I, I didn't, I, I, that's not, I, I feel like that's completely missing the point of what this story is. And when you take it in its context, in its entirety, we see a completely different, heart-wrenching approach to this parable. And this is why parables are so tough. I, sometimes we think nowadays that we can read a parable and we can get it because we have all this theology and academics. These things are difficult because you can't just take them in isolation. You have to take them into the context of the entire Bible, and sometimes doing that makes things not work. Well, it, it always works, but for us, we feel like it doesn't work. So I want to talk to you about a typical Jewish wedding in this day. The first stage of a wedding was, is the engagement. Not like, not like what we have today where, you know, you know, I, I took Joanna, like, it was like a little mini, like, boat cruise thing, and I proposed there. It was really cool. I invited the family. Everyone was super happy. It was really pretty. It's a little different here, right? Most of these, uh, these marriages are arranged. So the first part was the engagement. Basically, it's a formal agreement made by 
the families. So some type of agreement has been made for these parties to be wed. Before I even jump into the ten versions, how many of y'all know what formal agreement was made for us? How many of you guys know all the promises that Christ, that God made for the church to make sure that we had access to grace? There has been an agreement that God is going to keep. Step one. The second stage was a betrothal. There was a ceremony where mutual promises are made. Now, they've agreed to the terms. The terms have been set. Now there's going to be this ceremony where both sides are going to agree to follow. I'm going to keep this side. This is going to be my promise, and this is going to be your promise to us, and that's how this marriage is going to work. Whatever it is that they decided on, whether it was land, money, family, move away, get out of here, whatever it may be, they had that. And we had that. Christ was our promise. And we have our end of the deal that we do not keep very well at all, right? That's the second stage. Now we have the third stage. This is the actual marriage. So between stage two and stage three, typically about a year goes by. The reason why there is this waiting period is for quite a number of reasons, but it could be because what if one of the families weren't serious? Or if it was a financial reason, what if one of the families was holding on to some type of secret that was going to destroy them that they weren't sharing with the other side. So instead of rushing the marriage and rushing families into problems, they would wait a good year. Let things sit. Let people sit on it and see if this is actually something that's going to work out between the families. So this is really long waiting period. And that time is not like today. I schedule a flight. I text somebody, hey, I need you to pick me up at this time. It wasn't like that. These families were far apart, right? There was some travel time. And typically, it's decided during the agreement, but the husband would come to the families, uh, the, the wife's family. They would make that big, that big move, that big travel. But they wouldn't say when they were going to do it. It's just after about a year, after they feel like, hey, this is good, let's do it, they would make the, the movement. Now, you would have bridesmaids. And typically, right, let's say you're marrying your first daughter, so all the other daughters are going to be virgins, just naturally, right? And they had this ceremony that when one of the servants found that the, that, the, that, the, <clears throat> that the groom is coming, they would announce, hey, and then there was this big procession. The, the, the bridesmaids, typically there's a group of 10 of them, would all go out with their torches or lamps or whatever, their lights, and find them and say, hey, come, let's take you. Let's take you to the, let, let's take you to the ceremony. Let's take you to the wedding. They would lead them there to which they would then have the ceremony and they would be wed and it would be beautiful, it would be awesome. And they would shut the doors because in that time, you had to protect your own land. You had to protect everything. So you would have, during that wedding, a weak point in your infrastructure. No one's guarding because everyone's at the wedding. No one's watching the animals because everyone's at the wedding. So the doors would be shut to make sure no outsiders came in to disturb anyone. Once the doors were shut and the wedding started, you better bet that thing wasn't opening back up. Not until everything was done. So now, right, let's put this into the context of the parable. You have these virgins who took their lamps. You have five who were prepped and five who took no oil with them. But they all have lamps. But I'm going to just put it out there. Five of them were fake. 
They were being fake. They were ready. They looked ready. They got their lamps. They're dressed up. They're doing all the work. They're running out there. And it's not easy to go running out in the dark of night, right? Also, they're also just waiting for this, for this bridegroom to come. They have no idea. Everybody's together. And I bet you they're all friends. They're all chit-chatty. Like, yeah, I can't wait for him to come and blah, 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 blah. But you only got five that are really prepping themselves. And anyone who's ever been in a wedding, like I, my, my groomsmen, I had three of them. Bro, they, were, they kept me on point. And I had the other two that were like, like me, just not on point. <laughs> right? It happens. This hap- it happens. Right? But if it was not for my three groomsmen and my best man, guarantee you, I would have not shown up on time to a lot of things. <laughs> they kept me on point. They kept me accountable. They made me look good. But we have here five, five bridesmaids that were just not ready. They took the lamps. There was no oil with them. The bridegroom was delayed. Here's what's crazy. They all, all of them, slumbered and slept. Now, I didn't know this, but did you know that if you're waiting for the, the groom to show up, that is disrespect to be sleeping on the job? Did you know that they all slept? So most of the time, we're over here focusing on the foolish ones, but even for us ready folk, for those of us who came with the oil, y'all be sleeping too sometimes. And there's times in my life where I feel like I'm the most prayed up, I'm the most read up, I'm the most Christian person here, I'm good, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, and I still can fall asleep on the job. There's been many times where I feel like I'm the most Christian, I'm the most holy, and I'm, I'm good, and even in that, I miss, and I sleep on things, and I've let people by, and I've not spoken to people. And, you know, there's always that one person like, oh, speak to the person at the grocery store. And then, like, I'm, I'm feeling Christian. I prayed for three hours in the morning or whatever. I go to Publix. I don't even speak to the teller. I'm like, let me just scan this. I got my ice cream. I'm going to go now. I don't want to talk to you because I don't like talking to people. I, I like talking to you guys. You guys are cool. But typically, I don't like to open my mouth and just talk to you. I'm not that uh, friendly. Um, but everyone slept, even the ones who were prepared. So I thought that was very, very interesting. And again, when you look at what's happening in Revelation, there was every single church had something that they slept on. Not one of them was perfect. Now, there were some that were way more prepared than others, but guarantee you each and every single one of those churches had at least one thing that they slept on. So it's important to know that Jesus knows us. He knows who you are. And he's always reaching out. At midnight, a cry was heard. Uh, a cry was heard. I mean, I messed up that word twice. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. And all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And when you trim your lamp, it's kind of like if anyone's like lit a lighter, right? It sparks, it turns on. That means that their lamps turned on. And then all of a sudden they were like, yeah, let's go, let's go. And foomp turned off. They were ready to go. Their lamps were turned on. All of a sudden, they ran out of oil. They weren't ready. And they said, yo, give us some of your oil. And the other, the other bridesmaids, they're like, we, we waited a year for this. We waited so long, so much, we even messed up and fell asleep a little bit. But now that we know the bridegroom is coming, we're not going to miss it. When we were talking in Revelations, right, Bishop and all the, all the other guest speakers that we had all talked about these amazing signs that are going to be happening. 
But every single time, you know what I heard that was beautiful? Even if you don't remember all of these signs, the important thing is that if you're deep in your word and you know who Jesus is because you're spending your life with him, when he does show up, you won't miss him because you know who Christ is. So even if you fell asleep, if you're truly ready, when you're woken up, you will know who Christ is. And you're ready to receive him. And that's what we see here. You have five who are ready, five who are excited to bring the groom to the bride. And you have the other five who truly weren't ready. They looked the part. They woke up at the same exact time. They turned their lamps on at the same exact time. They started the movement. And I don't know how far they made it before they turned off. To which they said, Help us out. Give us some of your oil. And they said, I'm sorry. I'm not letting you drag me down. And here's why something like that is important. Let's look back at the yeast. Let's look back at the mustard seed. Let's look back now at the kingdom of heaven. How often are we letting those things drag us down? Are we letting the yeast into our lives? Are we letting the mustard seed into our, li- into our lives to just ruin everything? How often do we do that? How, how many of you guys, if you go on your YouTube history and you see all those things that you're watching, and it's funny, you go on your, 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 your YouTube history and, or whatever social media outlet and you see all the things that show up, yo, that feed, that's who you are. How many of you are searching for things of Christ on YouTube? How many of you are searching for the things of Christ on Google? How many of you are searching for the things of Christ on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter? Oh, on TikTok. We don't have a choice. I decided to do this in prepping for this. I decided to erase my entire history. I completely erased my hard drive. I put a new hard drive in my computer. I turned it on. Fresh, clean start. No history. None of that stuff. I signed into YouTube. The first thing that showed up, because I signed in and I signed into my Google account, which you know, shows up that I'm a male. Yo, my feed, everything was girls. It like all of a sudden just targeted all these, these YouTube videos to what it thinks a typical male would like to see. Now it's different. Once you start scrolling, once you start clicking, right, the algorithm's going to start trying to figure out who you are. And once it starts trying to figure out who you are, it's going to suggest you something. And if you click on that, then it's like, oh, I know who this person is. Right? So for those of you who haven't erased your digital lives, which you can't, good luck, but for those of you who haven't erased your digital lives, right, look at your history. Tell me who you are. Okay, and let's say you find out who you are. How many of you are willing to come to somebody and say, this is who I am. I need help fixing myself. Look how dirty and nasty I am. Help me. You may be a part of the kingdom of heaven. You may have let the yeast in. That's okay. Come to the body of Christ. Come to Christ. Come to him. Let us help you sort those things out. Because the only reason why I can stand here today is not because I found Christ and all by myself, I read the Bible and I did all this. No, if it wasn't for a lot of people in this room, I would not be able to speak the way I do. I would not have the same relationship with Christ that I do because these people, they know my dirt. And they know how to keep me accountable but I can't keep you accountable if I don't even know what I'm keeping you accountable for. Or what am I going to tell you? You just need to pray more. You just need to read more. You just got to come here, Bishop, a little more. Right? That's not going to work for you. 
let me really get to know who you are. I want you to really get to know who I am because that is a relationship. That is how we equip each other. Because if not, we're just tearing the armor off. We have to be willing to say, don't drag me down, yeast. Don't drag me down, you who have no oil. But this is talking about a time that's yet to come. We have a moment now to let people know, get your oil ready. You have that opportunity to say, get your oil ready. Be ready because the bridegroom is coming. We don't know when. We don't know how he's going to do it. Well, we kind of know how. But we don't know the day. We don't know the time. So now's the time for you guys to help those who are faking it because they think they can make it to say, stop faking it, start really making it. This is the time. So oftentimes we look at this and we just want to say, that's right, I'm the one that's ready. I'm good. I'm ready. Everyone else, the world, all those other fakes, they messed up. Well, why are you blaming the fakes? How about you get your hands dirty a little bit and let's go wake the fakes up? Because it's not easy to do that, is it? Anyone ever dealt with someone that's fake and they're telling you lies to your face? And you just don't want to deal with it anymore. I can't talk to that person. Every time they open their mouth, it's like they're just, I can't believe them. They're, they're not genuine. They're not genuine. I don't want to talk to them, and I don't want that in my life. It's good. I don't want you to have that in your life. You shouldn't have that ingenuineness, that fakeness in your life. What you should be doing is calling it out in love, helping them grow. But we don't even want to do that. Because some of us, we stay asleep. We don't even wake up. Y'all are amazing. You let me speak like this. You know that? So they all trim their lamps. And the door was shut. And Jesus says that the, that the bridegroom says, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Let me tell you why this is a really huge statement. Because... In stage one and stage two, do you know who the bridegroom meets? The party, the bridesmaids. He's introduced. But by the time the wedding comes, he goes, nah. Real bridesmaids, they're ready. So I don't really know who you are. I may know of you, but I don't know you. The doors are shut. We're moving on. Y'all don't want to be on the other side of that door where it's shut and you can't get in. Y'all don't want to be scrounging around at midnight trying to find an oil salesman, waking him up to say, hey, I need your help while the wedding is happening. And by the time you finally got your lamps, you show up to the door and it's shut. Y'all just left out. You did all that extra work to find that oil that you weren't ready for. You went through all this dirt to get this oil. You found an oil salesman. You woke him up. You turned your lamp on. And you traveled all that. You get to get to the door for it to be shut. Not only do you not want to be that, but how many of you want others to be that? Don't let others be that either. And then it ends, watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming, which is my third point. I ended right on time, guys. I did it. It's my first time I ended on time. Being ready 
means putting the work in all the time. Being ready means putting work in all the time. One of these days, my points will be as so amazing as Bishop. He always makes them rhyme or it's amazing. But I'm not comparing myself to him. I'm just saying my points, one of these days, I'll make them sound cooler. Being ready means putting the work in all the time. All the time. Always putting in work. Never stopping. Trying not to sleep on the job. All the time. That's what being ready means. It doesn't mean showing up on Sunday. I mean, you should be showing up on Sunday. But it doesn't mean just showing up on Sunday and feeling empowered. It doesn't mean just coming to a worship service and feeling good. It doesn't mean just coming to a prayer service and praying that prayer. It doesn't mean just showing up and making sure your kids are at youth group or kids ministry or any of those things. It means putting the work in. It's making sure you're making disciples out of your kids. It's making sure you're making disciples out of your neighbors. It's making sure you're making disciples out of your coworkers. It's making sure that every single aspect of your life, where you live, where you work, where you visit, where you vacation, everywhere you go, you are putting work in all the time. It is not a switch. You don't just pause when you're going on vacation. We don't get the, Christ is a fact. He is a reality. He is the truth. You don't get to turn Christ off, right? You don't have any choice in your taxes. You have to pay them. That is a reality. That is the law. Even if you try to avoid them, eventually it's going to come back to you. You can try and avoid Christ. You can try and navigate your way around the church so you can fake it. But you cannot avoid Christ when he returns. Being ready means you're always putting in the work every single aspect of your life. And as always, I ask you guys to keep me accountable for that same thing because I, I begin lazy. All right. I got, um, I got some questions for you guys. I got one question for you guys. Are you ready for when Christ comes? After all that, now you know what the kingdom of heaven is like, right? Now you know what all these other, you know, parables were really trying to say. Maybe. Bishop won't correct me next week. But are you really ready for when Christ comes? 